0: Do you remember the good old days? Those days when men were men, and you could tell by looking. Those days when women were the ones who wore earrings and makeup. Those days when men knew who they were and had confidence in themselves and in God. They knew where God was leading them and they trusted God to get them there. Perhaps the problem is that our modern society has tried to convince women that they can be as masculine as men and men that they can be as feminine as women. You see, all of that was before folks got confused about what gender they were. And all of that was before any of us had ever heard of anything like LGBTQ. Father's Day is a day that gives us an opportunity to look at masculinity once again. And I'm not talking about the Rambo kind that walks with a swagger and cusses like a sailor. I'm not talking about the Archie Bunker kind either. Those that sit like a king on the throne expecting the whole world to revolve around them. We're talking about a man who knows he's a man and is proud of that. But even though he's a man who knows he's a man and is proud of that, at the same time, he has a heart that's tender and a heart that's sensitive to the needs of other people. A heart that's tender and sensitive to the Word of God and to the will of God. The kind of man that is his son's first hero and his daughter's first love. The kind of man that shows his daughter how men are supposed to treat her. The kind of man who teaches his children selflessness. Selflessness. I saw the lightning. I knew that was coming. A man who exemplifies a Christ-like spirit in front of his family and his friends talking about men that don't tell their children how to live right, but men who live right and let their children watch. This morning I want to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 7 and 8 and verses 10 through 12. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charge every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and his glory. This is not a passage that deals with family or fathers or mothers. It's a passage that deals with the church at Thessalonica. Notice what Paul says there in verse 7, talking to the brethren at Thessalonica. He says, we were gentle with you, like a mother caring for her children. In verse 11, he says, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. What Paul says in that passage is, his ministry with the church at Thessalonica, was much like being a mother and father to the brethren of the church at Thessalonica. Now think about that just a moment. We talked in Bible class this morning from 1 Corinthians 16, how we're family. And we are. And we're brothers and sisters together here in the church in the family of God. And our relationship within the family of God is very similar to the relationship in the home. And with that in mind, I want to look at some things this morning that should be evident in God's man and God's woman. Things that ought to be evident in every Christian this morning. You see, God wants His men and His women to be loving. First of all, in verse 8, Paul says that the person God wants is a loving person. Here's the way 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8 reads in a modern speech translation, the message. We cared for you the way a mother cares for her children. We loved you dearly. Not content to just pass on the message, We wanted to give you our hearts, Paul says, and we did. This book teaches us that we are to be people who exercise love in all of our relationships. Here's some selected passages from the scriptures. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. If it be possible, as much as life, then you live peaceably with all men. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, listen to it, forbearing one another in love. And then Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Folks, all of those scriptures say the same thing we're supposed to love each other. Now, it might be hard sometimes. Just downright difficult sometimes. Not everybody is easy to love. Some folks just aren't very lovable. But Paul said, if it's possible we're to live in peace and in harmony, with everyone. We've been studying 1 Corinthians 13. And in 1st Corinthians as a letter, and in 1st Corinthians 13, you've got that great love chapter that Paul wrote. And that chapter tells us the importance of love in our lives. As Paul begins that 13th chapter of 1st Corinthians, he says, "I'm going to show you a more excellent way." And at the very beginning, he tells them that love is more important than spiritual gifts. Do you remember when Jesus was leaving his apostles, the new commandment he gave to those disciples before he left them? It's in John chapter 13, verse 24. He said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, you think about that. Think about how that would work in a physical family relationship. Suppose we say this morning, I'm going to go home and I'm going to put that into practice. Well, we could start with our spouse. We ought to love our husband or our wife first and most. But we ought to be kinder, more tender, more gentle to them than anyone there is, no matter what they act like. Can you think about that? How that would affect the atmosphere in our homes, or if we felt that way about our children or our brothers and sisters. I've known folks that had brothers and sisters in the flesh that hadn't spoken to each other in 20 years and they don't even remember what it was about. I've seen families get into a fuss and a squabble when... I've seen brothers and sisters get into a fuss or squabble when Mama and Daddy died. Mama and Daddy didn't have 25 cents worth of stuff. But they'd get in a squabble over that 25 cents worth of stuff and not speak to each other. When we have the kind of love in our physical family, that God wants us to have. There's not going to be any arguing. There's not going to be any bickering. There's not going to be any sharp words because everybody else's interests are just as important as our own. And when we start acting that way with our physical families, our, our spouse, our brothers, our sisters, our children, when we start acting that way with them, pretty soon that's going to filter down to all of our relationships our in-laws, our outlaws, everybody else. And all these relationships get better just because we love them. It all begins in our family. And from there, it spills over to the church family. Jesus also said this in verse 35 of John 13. By this, Shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another? Folks, that's the way the world finds out if the message of Jesus Christ is valid. If we're going to be what God wants us to be, if we're really going to love each other the way Jesus loves us, then we've got to develop in our own lives the same kind of compassion and love for other people that Jesus had. God wants his men and his women to be loving. God also wants his men and women to be authentic, to be real, to be genuine. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. You are witnesses. And God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Now folks, every one of those words are spiritual words. Paul says, when we were with you, we were holy. You could not find anything that was not holy in our lives. We were righteous and we taught you the truth. We did not teach you anything that was false. You know, the great tragedy in our world is that there's just so many folks that are not authentic the way God wants them to be. It reminds me of a story I heard about a young couple that was planning to make a trip to New York, and they wanted to see a Broadway play. It seems that they lived in a small Midwestern town, and they boasted to all of their friends they were going to New York City and they were going to only be able to spend a day there. But the highlight of that trip was going to see the Broadway play that had been so long running, My Fair Lady. And they were proud of that. And their friends were impressed because it was a small town and nobody from there had ever actually seen a play on Broadway. And the day came, and they arrived in New York City. They took a taxi to the theater where My Fair Lady was playing, and they went to the ticket window, and to their dismay, they found that the play was completely sold out for the night already. They thought, what do we do now? They didn't think to, you know, reserve tickets ahead of time. What do we do now? Everybody knows we came to see My Fair Lady. We can't go back and tell them we didn't. So on the sidewalk, they found a couple of ticket subs. And they picked them up. They bought a program that described the various acts of the play. They went home singing the music from the play. I could have danced all night. And they told everybody that they had gone to see My Fair Lady. Well, they had the ticket stubs, didn't they? And they had the playbill, the program, didn't they? And they had been to the theater where it was, and they knew the music. Problem was, they never saw the performance. The great tragedy is, there are a lot of Christians like that in our world today. We've come to church, we have the bulletin, we have the order of worship, we know the songs, we know what to say, we know what to do, but... Jesus isn't really the Lord of our life. It's all a pretense. It's not authentic. As Christians, we have a responsibility to be genuine. We have a responsibility to be authentic. Folks we come in contact with on a day-to-day basis, whether it's at Walmart or Brookshire's or whether it's at the ballpark, wherever it is that we might come in contact with people, they must realize our Christianity is not just something for Sunday. It's something for all week long. See, if we come to church and we carry our Bible but then we don't open it all during the week and it doesn't have any effect on the way we live, people are going to know that and people are going to see that. And when people see that in us, it diminishes the value of the church in their eyes. It is absolutely essential that we be genuine. We need to read from the Word of God in worship. We need to read from it through the week. We need to pray on Sunday. We need to pray on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, too. I remember seeing a point that some folks used to have on the walls in their homes. It said, Your life it may be the only Bible your neighbor ever reads. What are our friends and our neighbors, and our co-workers, and our family, and everybody we come in contact with, what are they reading in my life, in your life? What are they reading in our lives? God wants us to be a positive influence in this world. Here's verses 11 and 12 as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God who's called you to his kingdom and glory. You hear what Paul said there? We're going to encourage you. We're going to comfort you. We're going to urge you. Encourage, comfort, urge. Those are positive words. Those aren't negative words. Just as a father encourages, comforts, and urges his children to live lives worthy of God, God wants all of us to encourage, comfort, and urge others to live lives worthy of God. The sad thing is, everybody's not a positive influence. I came in that, uh, across an interesting story about a father and his negative influence. Seems there was this young man, about 12 years old. He was a member of the Boy Scouts, and his scout troop had planned a camp out, and it was going to be a father and son camp out. And this young boy was so thrilled, he could hardly wait to rush home and give his father all the information about this father-son campout. He was excited. He wanted to show his daddy what he'd learned in scouting and was proud when his daddy said he'd go with him. Well, the Friday of the campout finally came and this eager young boy had all of his stuff on the porch ready to stuff it in the car the minute his daddy got home. Everybody was going to meet the school at 5 o'clock and go to the campground. His dad got home at seven. The boy was franny, but his dad explained some things had gone wrong at work, son, but don't worry, we'll get up first thing in the morning and we'll go join the others at the campground. Well, of course, this 12-year-old boy was a 12-year-old boy, and he was disappointed, but he decided he'd make the best of it. First thing next morning he was up. He had everything in his dad's car while it was still getting light outside, ready to catch up with his friends and their fathers at the campground. His dad said they should leave around seven. The boy was ready a half hour before seven. Dad didn't come out of his room till nine that morning. And Dad saw him standing out front with the camping gear and finally explained son I've got a bad back I can't sleep on the ground he told his son he said I hope you'll be a big boy and understand it. And I have some commitments I have to keep and he asked his son to get the camping gear out of the car about the hardest thing that 12 year old boy ever did was go to the car and take out his sleeping bag his cook stove his puck tent All the supplies for the camping trip. And while he was putting away all of his camping gear in the storage shed, he watched his dad carry his golf clubs out and put them in the trunk of the car and drive away to keep his commitment. That's when the boy realized his dad never meant to go with him on that camp out. The boy didn't matter. The golfing buddies did. That's sort going of to make you just a little bit angry with that, Father? Doesn't he? Makes me want to teach him a lesson or two. As my friend Bobby Bates used to say, makes me want to take him out and give him a boxing lesson. Imagine that, making commitments like that to his son and disappointing in that way. What about the commitments you and I made to the Lord? Commitments to the Lord were often as cavalier about as that father was his commitment to his son. And what about our cavalier attitude about our commitments to the Lord being observed by others? What does that tell our friends and our neighbors and our family about how important the Lord is in our lives? What does it say about our influence? Because of influence, none of us are going to go to heaven alone because of influence none of us are going to go to hell alone either wherever we spend eternity because of our influence we're going to take somebody with us Paul says that they were a positive influence here's the question what kind of influence are we having? Jesus called on us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How are we doing with that? Do we need to make changes? If there are changes that need to be made and we can help you do that, make the changes necessary for Jesus Christ to be Lord and Master of all of your life. This is the opportunity to do that as we stand